Amen. And now we turn to submitting our minds and our hearts in obedience to God's word as we listen to it. Well, again, welcome to the last message of our Moving Forward series. And in this series, we've been uh, looking at God's word to instruct us on how to move forward from fear to faith, from pride to humility, and God willing, today we're going to be looking at how to move from control to submission. Now, for those of you who have missed the first two messages, uh, these were the three areas that we identified at our solemn assembly earlier this year. Uh, It's key to uh, moving forward. It's key to fruitfulness in our individual lives and in our church. And we're not only convinced that fear, pride, and control uh, greatly impede our walk with God, but they also hinder us from accomplishing our mission and vision as as a church. So two weeks ago, we saw from Hebrews 11 and 12 uh, that we move from fear to, to faith by fixing our eyes on Jesus instead of our fears. We learned that we need to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and to run with perseverance at the race that's marked out for us. And we do that again by uh, considering God's person, his character of his perfect faithfulness. His presence that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. His power that nothing is too difficult for him. And then lastly, his promises to us that he has bound us to himself in his covenant promises. And then last week, we saw how sinful and destructive pride is. And that God opposes the proud, that he hates it and he actually lays them low. At the same time, we saw that God draws near to the humble and blesses them with life with grace and with wisdom. We also noted how pride is so difficult to identify in our hearts and that we need the word of God to cut through that prideful shell uh, with its truth. So the Bible instructed us that to move from pride to humility, we need to boast in the Lord in choosing us, that we need to uh, treasure the gospel in quickly forgiving others, by considering everything as a gift from God. And that was our definition was that humility was a gift from God that considers everything as a gift from God. And by acknowledging God's sovereignty in our lives and lastly by serving others. And um, I believe that as we embrace faith, humility, and submission, God will not only bring about the healing uh, that we've been asking for, but also spiritual revival uh, in our church. So I've already mentioned earlier uh, today that uh, we're going to be looking uh, to move from control to submission. And, you know, for most of us, we believe that we are in control um, and that we need to control our lives. That if we do everything our way, everything will go right. And it doesn't take long for us to realize that there are actually very few things that we can control. We can't control the economy. We can't control the weather. We can't control our health or our well-being. Uh, we can certainly exercise and eat right, but you know, there's genetics in the environment. Uh, we can't control our circumstances and even the very trajectory of our lives. A very good example of that, um, you know, Susanna talked about uh, surfing. Well, there's also driving. Right? You could be the very best driver in the world, and you could have the very best car in the world, but you absolutely have no control about those driving around you, especially if you're driving on the 401. 
And you know uh, what it's like if you've ever hit black ice when you're driving in the winter and you're totally out of control. I um, hit black ice a few years ago and I did two 360s, slammed against the guardrail, which just prevented me from going off a cliff. That's how uh, out of control life can be. And, you know, the Bible actually affirms this truth in Proverbs 19, 21, when it says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And we realize, uh, when we realize, actually, that there's very little uh, that we can control, or when we lose control, one of the things that we do is we panic. And when we panic, we try to control our circumstances or people even more. And in different ways and degrees, we all struggle with control. The dictionary defines control as the power to influence or direct people's behavior or the course of events. But what we mean as followers of Jesus Christ is that when we are talking about control, it's trying to operate our life and circumstances through our own power, strength, and wisdom instead of God's. But we know that we, you know, again, can't control most of life. But So even knowing that doesn't actually prevent us from wanting to control all those things. And so we ask the question, then, why do we struggle so much with coming under the authority and direction of God? If that's the kind of God that we have described in Psalm 93, why do we struggle so much? Well, I've got good news. James chapter 4 uh, is so very helpful in showing us why we actually want control so much and what we need to actually do to move from control to submission. And that's our main text for this morning. So I want to encourage you to turn there with me um, so you can follow along. Now, before we dive into our text, it's important for us to understand the context of the book of James, the letter of James. And it was addressed to the Jews who had just recently come to faith in Christ. And these were the Jews scattered all over the nations. They were experiencing severe persecution from uh, the hands of the Jewish leaders. And they were still mourning the death of Stephen when he was martyred. Uh, And almost all of the Christians, except for the apostles uh, in Jerusalem, had been persecuted and dispersed from their homes uh, again, and scattered to different places. And so as a result, they were confused, they were angry, they were sorrowful, and they were afraid. And, you know, if you want a picture of people who feel like it's, life is out of control, it's them. And, you know, while we don't face that uh, type of persecution today, um, we know that we also suffer these kind of emotions and situations that cause us to be afraid, confused, angry, and sorrowful. And when we're faced with these emotions, we're, we're either tempted to do things in our own power strength or to ask the question, to question God and say, God, are you really, are you really in control? That's why James wrote this letter to encourage those suffering believers it's been dispersed to different parts of the world in the face of their hardships. And to also encourage them to remain faithful. And that is my hope and prayer for us this morning. That what is seemingly uh, disarray in our lives and even in our church, that we will experience the truth of James chapter 1. 
verse 2 to 4, that, that we would consider it pure joy whenever you, we face trials of many kinds because the testing of our faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that we may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so we move ahead to James chapter 4. So we've got the context of why James was written, and we look at James chapter 4, verse 1 to 10, and we see what the Lord has to say in the matter of control and submission. And we're going to be using the message version to amplify what we're trying to say here. So James 4, 1 to 10. It says, where, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because, you know, as I'm reading through these passages, uh, look for places where there's control. They come about because you want your own way and fight it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know that you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You spoiled children, each wanting your own way. You're cheating God. If, you, if all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So, let God work his will in you. Yell out a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious. Really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's only the way you'll get on your feet. Amen. So right away, in James chapter 4, we see uh, some things about control. It tells us that wanting control is a deep-seated desire in people. We see that we have no right to control our lives because God is over us. That wanting control produces quarrels and wars. Wanting control is really friendship with the world and puts us in enmity then with God. Wanting control hinders us from relying on God. And then lastly, wanting control is really cheating on God. And he is a jealous lover for us. So as we've said, again, there are different uh, Degrees of control, trying to do it our own way instead of God's way. And it's really directly related to our motivation for control. And we'll see that. And these motivations for control are fear, as you know, it's actually been pointed out earlier, pride, and pain. And we'll go through these. Generally, the more you have fear, the more pride you have, and the more pain you have, the more desire you have for control. Generally, So the people driven to control out of fear often do so because they themselves are afraid of being controlled or dominated. Some of us think that the only way to protect our loved ones uh, 
from hurt or danger is to control them and the circumstances around them. Today, we call people like that helicopter parents. Have you ever seen them at a park? We often hide real-life struggles from them because we think they can't handle them. We think it's being wise, but sometimes it really is motivated by fear. I think it's important to share um, that, uh, with, you know, that it's what's imp- appropriate to our loved ones. So whether it be an aging parent, whether it be to our small children, what's appropriate in these situations to share the struggles, the hurts, and the difficulties that we face so that they can learn to trust God. They immediately, the response for them is immediately to go, to cry out to God for help. In prayer, we are saying, Lord, we don't know what to do, but you do. So still others are afraid that someone, including God, might actually ask them to do something they don't want to do. And that brings about some fearful situations. So they lean to control. Now people uh, driven to control out of pride uh, often have a list of rules of the right way to do things or uh, what, is, what it takes to please them. Uh, lots and lots of rules. They are judge, jury, and uh, their judgment is always right. Now, if you violate their list, they fly off in a rage, or they start to sulk and become stern and even more manipulative. It's often difficult for people with a problem of control to, uh, when it comes out of pride, to recognize what they're doing, because to them, they're right every time. Um, you know, uh, Kalen and I have often asked ourselves, we've had to ask ourselves, we're, when we're making decisions, especially tough decisions, we ask the question, is this uh, a moral decision or is this a preference issue? Is it a moral issue or a preference issue? Because if it's a moral issue, then we know what to do, even if it's difficult. To do. But if it's a preference issue, then it doesn't matter who gets their way. A good example of controlling people were the Pharisees. Right? In, um, even in Jesus' day, they had this extensive list of rules, supposedly to help people follow the laws that God had given Moses uh, in the Torah. But they were so controlling that they added even more rules so that people can follow the rules that God gave them. And they became thousands and thousands of rules. So the Pharisees were like this because they believed that God just wanted outward compliance to his laws. So again, they made up more rules to, so that they, people would comply to them. And so for them, the Old Testament became this long list of rules that had to be obeyed at all costs. And Jesus, on the other hand, pointed to people's hearts. And he said that there needs to be this inward change in your heart. And that comes by God's Spirit working in you. And so what did the Pharisees do when, after Jesus called them out? Well, they had him killed. And um, they actually thought they were 100% right in doing it. And so this serves as a good warning for those of you who like lists of, and rules. If you're here and you've been coming to church Um, and your understanding of Christianity has been to follow a bunch of rules. 
But you've never really experienced this transformative power of the gospel in Jesus Christ. But you long to really know him and in his power. Then I just want to encourage you to put your faith in Jesus Christ and not on your ability to follow these rules. Because really the the purpose of the law is to show us that we can't follow the law. That God is righteous and that we are not. And it acts as a mirror. The law acts as a mirror to show us that we are sinful and in need of God. And it's impossible for us to keep even just a few of the laws. Sometimes when I'm preaching the gospel, when I'm talking to people about God, I well, sometimes ask them, you know, do you know the Ten Commandments? And most of them will say, they do. He says, have you ever broken any of them? And most of the time, in fact, I think 100% of the time, they say, yes. You know, I've said, have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever um, stolen something? Have you ever taken God's name in vain? And they say yes. And they say, you are a lawbreaker. And as lawbreakers, we deserve to be punished. But you know what? The good news is that we can come to God by faith in Jesus Christ instead of these rules. And he forgives us of all of our transgressions and trespasses. And that he actually fulfills the law on our behalf. And so I encourage you. Uh, to come, talk to me at the end of the service, talk to other prayer ministers, and they will be glad to help you. And lastly, some people control out of pain, out of deep wounds in their lives that haven't received full healing. They may have been abused, violated, or deeply wounded sometime in their lives. And they may be lost as to how to find that healing for themselves. And so they vow never to trust another person again. And they cope by putting up these walls. To be safe, they believe that they must control their environment like a bubble so that no one else can hurt them again. And so those are the motivations. Fear, pride, and pain that force us, in a sense, to control our lives. And while we struggle, we may often struggle with controlling our lives Uh, And again, based on the motivations that we have, one thing is certain, and we've said it over and over again, that God is in control. So in addition to Psalm 93, I have other verses for us to reflect on. First Chronicles 29, verse 11. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power, the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. And you are exalted as head over all. Amen. Psalm 115 verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does what pleases him. Ephesians 1.11. In him we were also chosen. Having been predestined according to the will of him who works out everything in conformity to his will. And then lastly Romans 8.28. Probably... Um, and one of my favorite verses in scripture. And we know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So it's very clear in scripture that God is in charge of the universe, that he is powerful to do all that he pleases, and that he works his glorious purpose in us, in the good, in the bad of our lives. It's a hard concept to understand. Because really, life teaches us that to be vulnerable exposes us to things that are dangerous. And to let go of control is frightening. It's scary. 
But it's clear that God, that God is in control of the universe and he knows all things and he loves us. He can be in control, but if he didn't love us, we'd be in trouble. But he loves us and he wants what's best for us. I love um, how um, pastor and author Ronnie Floyd prays. He often prays this, Lord, I give 100% of me to 100% of you so that 100% of you will work in 100% of me. Amen? He knows that a spiritual breakthrough begins with personally surrendering, submitting oneself fully to God, transferring all the ownership... You know, when you buy a car, you have to transfer the ownership, your ownership of, to the one true owner, Jesus Christ. We don't need to grab, but again, as we talked about, to release. We don't have to live with our hands in fists, but again, with open hands. We will never choose to let God have his way with us if we continue to hang on to our own desires, to our dreams, and even to our bondage. So, we know that we're finite beings, and we're sinful beings. We're broken, and God is far, far more superior. You know, this whole series has been about the superiority of God, of being in charge of us than we are of ourselves. He knows the beginning and the end and everything in between. In fact, he has purposed it all to work it out according to the conformity of his will. So, isn't submission to him our best option? You know, don't forget that God is already in control, even if you're not convinced that he is or unwilling to allow him to be in control. But your submission to him both glorifies him and brings joy, purpose, and love in your life. And so now that we've got that settled, we now have to ask the question, how do we move from control to submission? Again, James Chapter 4, now from verse 7 to 10, makes that clear in how we move from control to submission. And this time, again, I'm going to walk through um, this passage in the NIV. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he, and he will lift you up. Now the Greek word, the Greek word for submit is hupotasso. It's one of the first Greek words I learned and I love it. Hupotasso means to obey, to put under, to subject or to submit oneself unto. The word is actually a military term. And it means to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under a com- the command of a leader. So it's arranging, uh, again, uh, troop divisions under a command of a leader. So, so to submit to God means to arrange yourself under the command of God rather than to live according to your own will, uh, your, own, your old way of life based on a human viewpoint. So it is a process of surrendering, surrendering your own will to that of the fathers and coming unto subjection of him. Now, you'll notice that I haven't been using the word surrender much. And, you know, we talked about surrender earlier because it's not the word that the, actually the Bible uses in these contexts. I mean, we know what surrender means, but 
The one thing that the word surrender misses is that it is not active. It means to almost just give of yourself. It's kind of, it, it seems almost like uh, it's passive, but submission, submission is that active aligning to the will of God. And in order to do that, James tells us that we must do the following. So firstly, it says that we must, that we must resist the devil. And James says that he will flee from us. You know, the devil has many ways of um, preventing you from submitting to God. Many, many ways. He is crafty. In Luke 22, Jesus said to Peter, Satan demanded to have you so that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fall, may not fail. So how do we resist the devil? And again, Ephesians 6 instructs us in that. And again, I'm reading from the message version. So take everything the master Jesus has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so that you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. All right? So Arette is already instructing us, be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over, uh, but the shouting, you will still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. So we do this together. Also, don't forget that the devil uses the world and the world system to lure you into its clutches and to prevent you from submitting to God. The world often struggles with God-ordained authorities. It hates authority. And so... Uh, we are to resist the devil, we must say no to the influence of the world as well. Secondly, uh, with, with the devil's influence out of the way, James 4 says that we are to draw near to God. Drawing near to God is saying yes to him and his will for our lives. We proclaim, yes, Lord, I want you. I want your will for me. I want everything from you. So we draw near to God as we've done earlier in worship. Psalm 100 says, Shout for the Lord, uh, shout uh, for joy, for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. If you are struggling to draw near to God, begin by worshiping him. And thanking him for all he has done for you. And then lastly, James 4 says that we need to repent of our sins. As I said last week, sin grieves God and breaks our fellowship with him until we confess that sin. We agree with God that that was wrong. And then we turn away from that sin and turn to God. But sin often has a way of heaping guilt on us. And so we like to... Again, stay away uh, from drawing near to God. And I want to encourage you, draw near to him and then repent of your sin. That's why James says to wash your hands, 
to purify your heart, to grieve, mourn, and wail. And he says to take this seriously. This means that after we've said no to the devil and we've said yes to God, we say no to our sinful desires. You know, when uh, a husband and a wife uh, on their wedding day say yes to each other, they're actually saying no to everybody else. They're saying yes to another, to each other, and saying no to everyone else. So, you see that when we submit to God, we surrender our mind, our body, and our will to Him. Every part of us is placed under Him and His control. And that's what Romans 2, 1-2 to talks about to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is our true worship. And that we are to renew our minds so that we will be able to conform our will to God's will. And then actually lastly to close is that um, we want to look at this last area of submission, which actually believers have a difficult time doing. It's found in Ephesians 5.18. And it portrays submission to God as being filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. And um, it goes on then to instruct after it says, Be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, this is a frequently misunderstood passage of Scripture. As some have understood it to call for mutual submission, such as husbands and wives placing themselves under one another's authority. However, however, Ephesians 5.21 actually calls believers to recognize and respectfully follow God's ordained authority. What it's saying is, whenever you find proper authority, submit to it. Whenever you find God-ordained authority, submit to it. You know, this interpretation makes sense because we see in the following verses, it shows this relationship linked to authority and submission dynamics. There's a dynamic to those different relationships. Ephesians 5, 22-33 teaches us that God has called a woman to submit to her husband and a man to love his wife sacrificially. Because the wife reflects the church, which honors Christ as its authority in verse 22 to 24. And the man reflects Christ, who sacrificially leads and provides for his bride and dies for her in verse 25 to 28. And then that's followed by in chapter 6, where children are called to obey their father and mother and for slaves to obey to their masters. And back in uh, the first century, half of the Citizens in the Roman Empire were slaves. And then in Hebrews 13, 17, believers are called to submit to the leaders in the church. And without exception, without exception, the Greek word for submission, hupotasso, always points to obedience to God or given authority. Jesus submitted to the authority of his parents in Luke 2. The demons were subject to the disciples in Luke 10, all using the same word, hupotasso. Citizens are subject to the government authorities in Romans 13. The universe is subject to Christ in Ephesians 1, and Christ is subject to the Father in 1 Corinthians 15. At the same time, we are all equal in God's sight. Submission to God-ordained authority doesn't come and go because it is vital for Christian, Christian discipleship. 
And Paul is saying that joyful submission to one another is the expression of being filled with the Spirit. So in the end, mutual submission is not doing away with the concept of hierarchical authority in these different God-ordained relationships. Jesus was in authority over the disciples, but he laid aside his rights and washed their feet and died for them. Jesus said in Mark 10, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be last of all, a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, the challenge for us today is to stop living life and doing ministry without the power of God, doing it in our own power strength. Because when we seek control, we do it in our own strength and wisdom. And so let us pray the prayer of Ronnie Floyd. Lord, I give 100% of me to 100% of you, so that 100% of you will be at work in 100% of me. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. And again, this is a reminder. The Lord is doing business with you in your heart. You need to respond. Don't put off submitting to God. Because he loves you. Put away your fear, your pride, and receive also his healing. That you might submit to the Father who loves you so much that he gave his son. And he gave you his spirit. Go in Jesus' name. Amen.